the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is a pre-recorded show. Welcome to this very special edition of the Roger Franklin Williams Show, Memorial Day. Welcome to the Roger Franklin Williams Show. And welcome to the annual Roger Franklin Williams Show tribute to Memorial Day. The program where we honor those who gave their lives defending America's freedom and security while in service to the United States military. Today's featured guest is Sergeant Lou Boria, United States Marine Corps, decorated combat veteran of World War II and the Korean conflict. Before we go to Sergeant Lou Boria, I want to let you know about some of today's sponsors for our program, our special program today. They are Russ McClatchy, attorney at law, Wes Doomey, candidate, Apopka City Commission, Fortador Solutions, Sheila Rado Repair, Apopka Moore, Dr. Patrick St. Germain and St. Germain Chiropractic, and of course, our friends at Thompson Jewelers. Now, let's go to today's special guest, decorated U.S. Marine Corps veteran, Sergeant Lou Boria. We're pleased to be speaking with Sergeant Lou Boria. Sergeant Boria is a United States Marine Corps veteran, combat veteran of World War II and the Korean conflict. He was awarded two Purple Hearts. All four of his sons served in the United States Marine Corps. Also, he has a brother who served in the United States Marine Corps. He's also a Gold Star father. His son, Louis Boria III, died of wounds suffered at the Battle of Quezon in Vietnam. Also, another his other another one of his sons, Greg Boria, uh, succumbed to to uh, effects of after effects of Agent Orange. He was also a Vietnam veteran. Mr. Boria is a native of Brooklyn, New York. He joined the Marines at 16 years old in Brooklyn. He was serving in combat at the age of 17. And I want to also let you know that his wife Alice is joining us as well, and we might hear from her. Also, Mr. Boria, thank you for joining us. Thank you for being here. It's really an honor to, to have you join us. My pleasure. You know, there's a lot, so much to talk about, but I'd love to have you start just by talking about you know some of your early combat, if not your initial combat. Early combat was during one of the most famous battles, literally, of United States military history, the Battle of Leyte Gulf. Uh, you were an integral part of that, um, part of MacArthur's return to the Philippines, and you actually served as a group, a very small group of about 250 Marines as part of that battle. Can you just share your, your experiences with us? Well, like I said, the, the landing was, like I said, the toughest part is uh, climbing into the small boats, uh, to, you know, to head for the beach. So you, you, you're climbing down these nets, you're about two, two stories high, and... Uh, the packs and ammo that you carry over with you, a rifle, and, and it it almost equals your your weight. You're over a hundred something pounds on your back. You get two or three bandoliers of ammunition, and then two cans in the water, and all the stuff like that. So that it, it makes it pretty tough because the small boats that pulls up alongside the ship. And with the tide, they're either going up or down or it's taking the boat out or slamming it up against the ship. So when you're climbing down, you're so afraid that that boat is going to pin you up against the the troop ship you're on. So it's it's kind of hard. And a lot of guys, uh, they get down so far and they freeze. You know, they, they, They're afraid that they get hit by that boat. So uh, being a uh, you know, senior... Sergeant, like you drop your pack and then you got to climb up the net and and help some of these guys out take take the loads, they take their rifles or something so that they can maneuver and get back down on into the boats. But it's, it's a really dangerous part of the of the landings. 
So anyway, once you're in the boats, then you you, you get into a, what they call a circle, uh, and uh, you, you you continue on that circle till all, all the boats form into that one formation, and it, it, that would be like the that like the boat loan, but no, the you know like beach landing number one, number two. So we, I, I was happened to be in a, in a, the number two boats that were headed for the beach, and. Uh, like I said, once they're on there, then you rendezvous behind each other. They circle, keep circling around till it forms a formation of, from all the other ships, so that these boats are flat bottoms, so that when they're running the wake of the boat in front of them, all that water is being splashed over the top, so you're, you're soaking wet. I mean, and then the fumes of the diesel from the boats in front of you, so that. You inhale it, the next thing you know, everybody is seasick. I mean, guys lay down the floors on the boats. They, they don't care what happens, you know. So anyway, it, it takes about 15, 20 minutes ahead to get get to the beach. And once you're on the beach, the boat, the, the boats, the, the coxswains on the boat, they want to get in and out as fast as they can. So they slam that boat up on the sand, and then... It, it, that gives you the time to get off, but there were so many guys laying on the floor that you had to go ashore, drop your pack and thing, and run back and start dragging guys out. So that uh, it, it, it was, you know, the, the thing was that once you got the guys on the beach, they, they they would look back and see what you were going through, and they would get up and stumble back and help you with the, you know, getting some of the other guys out. So anyway, but once we were on the beach, it was unbelievable. I mean. The Japanese, I mean, the uh, the Filipino guerrillas have wiped out all whatever resistance that was on that beach area we were in. So that the only thing we ran into was the women and kids. And remember, prior to that, the Filipinos were American citizens. So when the Japs invited, they, you know, took them, that they were all really treated really tough because the fact that they were uh, American citizens. So anyway, so when, when we got ashore, these people were like crazy. I mean... Americanos, Americanos, and they jump on us and hugging and kissing. I had two kids dangling off my arms, and the mother in front of me, and she's hugging and kissing me, and and the beach master's hollering, get off the beach, get off the beach. I said, how the heck you move? You know, with all this, it was really great. It was a great feeling. It only lasted for a day, but it was was a great feeling. The the way the, the people accepted you, they were so happy, and it was, you know, just kept howling, Americano, Americano, and, and kissing and kissing and kissing. You know, like, it, it, and that was all part of you know, General MacArthur's return yeah, to yeah. the Philippines, which yeah. uh, made the famous statement when he left, he, yeah, I will return. I'd return, yeah. Now, but there's an inside story, if you will, that you've shared with me off here. I'd love to have you share with our listeners about conflict, actually, between General MacArthur and, and Admiral Nimitz. Yeah, in, well, in fact, that General MacArthur, I guess, wasn't thrilled, if you will, that the Marines were part of this mission, yeah. and, and you were part of those, a very a, a small, literally about a 250 group of Marines that were selected to, to be a part of it. Can, can you share that with us? Yeah, well, <clears throat> like I said, you know, there's all through the island hopping, you know, you started out from, from Hawaii going up, and and uh, so that the Marines, you know, all these islands and Saipan, Tinian, and, uh, you know, were mostly 90% were Marine invasions. So that they, we had a couple of Army officers in Peleliu, and there was another Saipan, I think. And uh, they, they, they relieved the Marines on Guadalcanal, some of the Army officers. But anyway, 90% of the islands that were invaded were mostly by Marines. So when it came time to the Philippines, uh, MacArthur, he wanted it to be just Army, that, that, you know, that that was his, 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 you know, his, his diamond. He, he just, that's all he ever talked about, to get re- returning back to the Philippines. So anyway, so that when the assignments came, and I said, I only noticed, only because, we read it. I read it into Stars and Stripes, so that uh, MacArthur didn't want to take the Marines. And so Nimitz told him, "You got this far on the backs of the Marines." He says, "You're going to take Marines." So anyway, we get aboard ship, or a couple of days out of, at sea, 
and they told us that we were headed for the Philippines. And that, so we have these dungaree jackets, and then on the left-hand side is a pocket, and it has USMC on it with the Marine emblem in the center. MacArthur ordered it was to take that out. He cut it off, cut the, the pocket out, and all the equipment we had that had USMC painted over. He didn't want no, to know that there were Marines landed there. I was telling the story that once we got ashore, the, uh, I don't know where, one of the officers found a, a four-by-eight uh, sheet of plywood, and he painted on there, he said, that with the grace of God and a few Marines, MacArthur returns to the Philippines. And somehow or other, MacArthur found out about it, and he wanted to court-martial this officer to have him court-martialed. And the Stars and Stripes got the story, and, you know, they threatened MacArthur, you know, that if he did that, they would, you know, tell him about not him what he did, about, you know, not wanting Marines and, and making us cut their pockets off and, you know, painting over our, our equipment. But and as, as also you shared with us uh, at the uh, Marine Corps Museum oh, yeah, at Quantum yeah. uh, Virginia, I, I, that I, sign I, is is, yeah, is is prominently I, displayed I, there. Yeah, I have a nephew who was a corpsman, and uh, so after the the war, we got together, and so we're talking about in Quantico that they have this museum. So he said that he would like to go. So anyway, we got together, and I was in living in Florida by that time, and we drove up to Quantico. And uh, so we're going from seeing all of this. And I have to go to the restroom. So they have uh, people there that, that they would, you know, take you around and show you all the different things that get of interest. And this one guy is a, a volunteer. It was a Congressional Medal of Honor winner. And, I mean, it, it was unbelievable to be with this guy. He had the, the, on his lapel the, 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 the pin... And uh, so anyway, I had to go to the, the restroom, and uh, in the meantime, he's talking to my nephew, and uh, he's telling my nephew's telling him that I had been in the Philippines, and I said, oh, when he gets back, I got to show him something. So anyway, when I come back from the bathroom, we introduce each other. He says, I got something to show you, so come with me. And we went into this room, and on the wall is the sign with the grace of God and a, and a few mar- Marines, you know. And I, I just stood there looking at this thing, and I tell you, the tears were running down my face. What a thrill that was to see that there, you know. You were one of those few it, Marines. It just happened the- that I, I, I had one of the guys that was there, so that it was, uh, you know, I talked to the this gentleman that had the Congressional Medal. He says, you were there, isn't it? And then I told him the story about MacArthur having this cut, the, the pocket. He says, I never heard about that. I says, that's the truth. That MacArthur did do that. I don't say maybe personally, but whatever his staff was, whatever they they passed the water down to for us to have to take that pocket out of there. An amazing historical inside story, and yeah. we thank you for for sharing it w- with our listeners. In a letter from home, U.S. Marine combat veteran, World War II, and the Korean conflict. Men who fight by night and day, courage take from the green beret. Welcome back to the Roger Frank and Williams Show, and welcome back to our special program, our annual Roger Frank and Williams Show tribute to Memorial Day. The program where we honor those who gave their lives defending America's freedom and security while in service to the United States military. We'll go back to our featured guest today, Sergeant Lou Boria, in just a minute. Of course, Sergeant Lou Boria is a Marine Corps veteran, decorated combat veteran of the Marine Corps. He served in both World War II and the Korean conflict. Before we go back to Sergeant Lou Boria, I want to let you know that Attorney Russ McClatchy recognizes and honors all the members of the United States military who gave their lives in defense of America's freedom. Russ McClatchy, attorney at law, is recognized by his peers for a 30-plus year record of competence, honesty, and integrity. Offices, Longwood. 
we resume our conversation with Sergeant Lou Boria, United States Marine Corps combat veteran of World War II and the Korean conflict. His World War II experience includes, it's not limited to, but includes being a part of the Battle of Leyte Gulf, one of the most famous battles in United States military history. Also, he was awarded two Purple Hearts. All four of his sons served in the United States Marine Corps. He's also a Gold Star father. His son, Louis Boria III, died of injuries suffered during the Battle of Quezon in Vietnam. His son, Greg Boria, died of, of complications from Agent Orange. He was a Vietnam veteran as well. And, and Mr. Boria, I'd like to pick up talking about your early service, you know, more about the late, your, your service in the late Battle of Leyte Gulf, and, and keeping in mind that, if I'm not mistaken, at this time, you were literally only 17 years old. And, you know, so many things happen, so many horrible things happen in war that we never see, that the, the public never sees. They don't put it in movies or anything like that. It's really talked about. And one of the, the, the difficult things that you were ex- exposed to early in your service, especially at the Battle of Leyte Gulf, was you know the fact that the Japanese were you know, employing kamikaze missions during that time and, and crashing their planes into our, our, our big our ships, and you know, obviously part of the the result of that were men were, were were being killed and dying on our on our battleships and so forth. And can you talk about uh, part of your your duties uh, was to to retrieve those bo- some of those bodies? Yeah, well, I I was. Uh the sergeant, but called me Boria. Says, "Get on the jeep." He says, "You got to go down to to the beach and, and get some ammo and rations and, and stuff like that." So anyway, so I got in the jeep and we drove down down to the beach. Get down to the beach, and as we pulling into the area with their food and all that, this major comes over to the jeep. He says, "I need you two guys. Come with me." I said, we, 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 we get, they're going to wait him. He says, I'll take what offer you in. And I gave him all the details. He says, I'm going to send one of our, our trucks. I need you two guys. So I said, what the heck is it? You know. So anyway, we, we go with this Army Major, and uh, he gets a couple of other guys that he had lined up, and he walks us down to the beach, and he says, you get in this boat, and the boat takes us out, out, to, out, out, out headed out to sea to this big battle wagon. And... Uh, they had uh, kamikaze had gone through the deck, uh, and then blew up down below and uh, killed I don't know how many guys. But anyway, now the ship was incompa- incapacitated. They can't get back out to sea to bury the dead. So they had all the seventeen bodies on the deck in the stretches, and all the bodies were wound up like uh, into a black gauze. And, and when we went to pick up the, the the stretches to carry them down. The uh, the puddle of blood would be because all all these had wooden decks and the the blood just soaked right into. And it was horrible to to see that not, not just a quarter of a, a part of the of the stretcher was a, a piece of body, and it, it was really horrible to see. I mean, you pick up that and it's just inside. It was like oh, what a feeling! It was, it was really to see uh, dead Americans like that, you know. So I think we took off some of the things. I think it was 17 bodies. We we, we got down there because they had to take elevators to get us from the top deck down to the below deck, you know, to level two with the uh, with the small boats. And they laid them on the deck. And it, it was horrible to see. But they, like I said, they, they couldn't bury them out of sea. And, and during the day, the, the temperature goes up to about 105, 100. 107 degrees at 10 o'clock in the morning. So those bodies had been laying on the deck for about a day or so, and, and it's kind of a raw smell. So, uh, and, and that was part of your introduction to, to war yeah, as, as a 17-year-old? That, that was the first time I, I seen dead Americans, and they, you know, but that was only the beginning. <laughs> uh, and can you, uh, can you share with us about the you know, the... Your experience, you were awarded yeah, two yeah. Purple Hearts. Well, Can you share some like about I, that like experience? I, in, in the Marine Corps, they have the, these officers, like the uh, forward observers for the uh, artillery. So uh, these officers, they, you're, they're assigned, you know, an enlisted man, and they call them shotguns. So uh, you become a, a shotgun. You're, you're 
you, 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 you had to call like the bodyguard for that officer. So wherever that officer went, you had to be with him to help him with the, with the gear and, uh, you know, protect him while he's you're observing with your, so you with your rifle you you stood be alongside or behind whichever they, you know to to give them the protection and uh so they would they would you know spot whatever japanese uh, activities and they would call it into the artillery and uh, so the, you go you would go out there for a couple of days you know and then they they would re- relieve and then so then when we when I went up the second time up because if you, when they take you back, you go back to the rear echelon, you know, and you, you can relax and have some good chow and, and get some sleep. And uh, so then my second time up, I went up with this officer again, and we got involved into a counter-artillery barrage so that they had spotted the area we were in, and so whoever got knocked each other. So anyway, the thing was, it was a, a battle going back and forth, and uh, we just the, the officer and I was just deep in the, the foxholes and just praying to God that the, none of the, the shells would would come, you know, to us. But the, the, the next thing I know, I wound up. I was unconscious. The, the concussion of the, the shell had knocked me out. Uh, I, the officer he wasn't moving, so I don't know whether he, he was seriously hurt or not. So, but anyway, the corpsman's uh, pulled me up, and the next thing you know, I I was in the field hospital in. Uh, down by the beach area, and uh, I think it was a, the following morning, uh, the doctor came over, checked me out. He, he said that I had two large perforations, and they, they were bleeding, so they had me evacuated. So they tagged me, and they put me on a one of the landing crafts and took me to one of the LSTs. The LST is like a small cargo ship, and that LST took us out to where the hospital ship was, I think the name of the hospital ship was the Repose, and they put me aboard the, the, that ship, you know, the hospital ship. And then, then that hospital ship took me to uh, uh, Caledonia was the name of the island, New Caledonia, and I, I was in the hospital there for about a month or so. And uh, then they, they, they transferred me to a hospital in uh, Hawaii, and I was in the hospital in Hawaii for about a, a month or so, and they sent me back to duty. I went back to Guam, and I was on Guam about three or four days, and I I, I, I ran into the uh, corpsman who had tagged me, and he's asking me different questions and that. And uh, so I, apparently he he made that report back to the, to the doctor's, and the doctor said that man's not supposed to be in combat. He's got perforated eardrums. So anyway, so he went back to the company commander. He said to send me back to the hospital in Hawaii. <laughs> so now I'm back on board a ship going back to Hawaii. So they, they kept me in the hospital in Hawaii for, for about another couple of months or so. And then they put me on and sent me back to the States. So I got back to Camp Lejeune, to, uh, North Carolina. I was in the hospital there about three to four days when the war ended. So then uh, the doctor says, well, uh, you're entitled to 30 days leave. So if you want 30 days or you want to... So I said, I, I'll take the 30 days. So I went home uh, for a 30-day leave. And uh, when I got back, like I said, the war was over. So they uh, they figured they, they, they put me you know, in a casual company and every... Other day or so, ten, fifteen guys were got discharged. So they, I got discharged, and I went went home. So, uh, thank you for sharing amazing stories, and thank you for sharing your firsthand experience, yeah. combat experience in World War II. Thank you for joining us on today's program. We'll be back in just a moment after these messages. Of course, our program featuring Sergeant Lou Boria, United States combat veteran of World War II and the Korean conflict. Before we go to break, I want to let you know that Wes Dooley, candidate for Apopka City Commission, is pleased to support today's program featuring decorated U.S. Marine Corps combat veteran Sergeant Lou Boria, as we recognize all who gave their lives in military service defending America's freedom and security. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. 
Men who fight by night and day Courage take of the Green Beret Welcome back to the Roger Franklin Williams Show. It's great to be with you today. Of course, we have honored to have very special guests today. Someone, a man who served his country faithfully in not one but two wars in combat. Of course, as you're hearing, he was awarded two Purple Hearts for his combat service. Sergeant Lou Boria, Marine Corps combat veteran of World War II and the Korean conflict. Before we go back to Sergeant Lou Boria, I want to, of course, let you know that today's program is supported by our friend Russ McClatchy, attorney at law. Attorney Russ McClatchy recognizes and, and honors all the members of the United States military who gave their lives in service to our country. Russ McClatchy, attorney at law, recognized by his peers for a 30-plus year record of competence, honesty, and integrity. Russ McClatchy, attorney at law, offices Longwood. We continue our conversation with Sergeant Lou Boria, United States Marine Corps combat veteran of World War II and the Korean conflict. His service in World War II included being part of the very small number of Marines that were part of the Battle of Leyte Gulf, which was you know, MacArthur's return to the Philippines, one of the most famous battles in United States military history. All four of his sons served in the United States Marines. He's also a Gold Star father. His son, Louis Boria III, died of wounds suffered at the Battle of Quezon. His son, Greg Boria, died as a result of Agent Orange. He's a native of Brooklyn, New York. He joined the Marines at 16 years old, was serving in combat at 17. And you know, Mr. Boria, I'd like to, we talked about your service in World War II. Um, we talked about how you came to be a Marine and your uh, you know, experiences, good and bad, uh, trying and cha- challenging and rewarding at boot camp in Paris Island. Uh, can you share with us about your service in Korea? Yeah, well, <clears throat> I think I think what the war ended. I think it's either forty-five or early forty-six. But anyway, uh, I, I I was out and uh, I, I married and I had a little boy, uh, which was Louis uh, the third, and uh, I think it was he was born in nineteen forty-eight. I joined the, you know, I love the Marines, and uh, I met a guy, and he's told me that they had this. Uh, Reserve outfit in Brooklyn. They wanted when I when I come on down and visit. You know. So anyway, I went and I joined up. So that uh, uh, I used to go to Camp Lejeune during the summer months for for thirty days or uh, like that. Anyway, the thing was when this Korean War started, <laughs> I got a, a notice to report back on active duty uh, August the sixth, nineteen fifty, and. Uh, like I said, I think my son was only two, three years old, something like that. And uh, so I reported, the next thing I know, they put us on a train, sent us out to the West Coast, got to Camp Pendleton, uh, helped load ships, went aboard ship, and went straight to Korea. We, the, the, uh, the landing in the, in the Korea was September the 16th, and on, that was... It was funny that it was the, the day of the by, by, my second son was born on September the 16th, and the week, week, we get the inch on. So what happens on the way to, the, to, to Korea, we, we hit a monsoon, and I, the ship I was on, all the landing craft on one side, the, on the port side of the, of the ship, this wave hit that, and like domino effect, it took all six boats that were on on the port side of the ship, so that we felt that now we're not going to be able to make any beachhead landings. We got no boats, so anyway, we were like I said, we would one the landing was the sixteenth. We didn't get to Korea till the seventeenth, and when we got, they, they just said, "Well, you guys one day late." They said, "We have to take Seoul. Wakata uh, wants Seoul taken. They're going to have a big ceremony with Sigmund Rhee. I think it was the president." So he said they put us on a 72 hours. <coughs> and we went for 72 hours without, uh, you know, and, and we went, took Kimpo Airfield, we took Seoul, and went right outside of Seoul, this, this town of Wejambu, and I got wounded there. 
So they, they sent me back, back to the, to the, you know, the uh, field hospital, oh, and the, and the next morning they. Oh, oh, they, they say how did I got wounded? We were. They had relieved us after the seventy-two hours. They, they piled us on trucks and headed back back towards Seoul. On the way back, all of a sudden we started getting mortar fire on the road. So, all on both sides of the, of the road, the mortars are blasting away. So we all jumped off the out of the trucks and jumped into this ditch. So, <coughs> and these. The rounds are going off. All of a sudden, I look up, and I see this tank coming down the road, coming to, towards us. So I jumped out of the, and got behind the tank and grabbed the phone, and I, I, I said, tank, tank, there's this infantry. At, at, at 10 o'clock, at 10 o'clock. It, so the guy says, you know, thank you. And so I, uh, he says, thanks, infantry. So I let the phone go. It, it rolls back up, and I turn around, and I'm ready to start running. And the gun, the, the, the tank fired. And I mean, it sent me flying about the concussion from the tank hit, and it, I just rolled on the on the roadway, maybe about ten feet, and just laid there. The guys at the ditch, they, they they ran out, pulled the grip me, and dragged me back into the ditch, and uh, that, that you know my ears started to bleed again, and so that I wound up uh, the next morning I was in the hospital of Yokosuka in Japan. But that was the time that you were blinded. You were blinded for 10 days and you couldn't hear. Oh, yeah. They, you know, from the concussion, the swelling caused, it, you know, I don't know, something with my eyes from the concussion so that I, I, I couldn't see. But, but the nurse is right in my hand and telling me it was just like temporary, you know, so that uh, thanks God that it was, it was just like once the swelling went down, I was able to see. So I was very scared, you know, thinking I was going to be blind. In your second Purple Heart, you actually literally got yeah. shot by by a tank. By yeah. Yeah. The, the the missiles, were, the, the shells were coming in at the same time as the tank. So between the repercussions of both of them, he kind of got it on both ends. And both with blinded and and yes. ears, yeah, I was, were damaged. I, at the time, I was with the Seventh uh, Marines, First uh, Marine Division, Seventh uh, Marine Regiment, and. Uh, yeah, that's like I said. It was it was like a, a big surprise, you know. I, I just if the tank went, had but they fired so fast that it just didn't give me a chance to get away from the bunker. And that's I don't know if you, but they're really so a blast that 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 from the when it recoiled it from the. It, so did did the guys take take the tank out? Oh yeah, that no, you they, called? Yeah, I I don't know. I because from when I I had my back to the tanks. So I know they fired, but I, yeah. but I don't know how many times or what. <coughs> what the, what the, you know, they, they knocked the, whatever it was that was up there. I don't know because, like I said, I was unconscious, and the guys dragged me into the ditch. So that, uh, that, that they, now, is there anything you'd like to share in in our final moments? Well, you know, like I said, uh, I, I don't know, if it, but I think this was during World War Two. Uh, right before I, the, I got assigned to as a shotgun, the, the day before that, the, the, the sergeant comes over to me and he says, you know, Boria, you're one of the youngest guys here and they're really, you know, fast. So he said, we're going to put you on this one detail for tonight. He said, you got to go. Out, we're going to put you out into the, uh, out in front of our lines. He said, the Filipinos, the gorilla said, there's a big movement of Japs coming down that area, and says, if we want to see, if we put you out there, and let us know. He says, so anyway, he takes me to the, the place. He says, you stay here, and say like something about like, like uh, ten or eleven o'clock that that night, and he says, you, you stay this here. He says, you got a grenade? I says, yeah. He says, right there. give me the grenade. I gave him the grenade. He pulls a pin and puts the grenade in my hand with the, the, the spoon. He goes, see, as long as you hold that spoon down, that grenade ain't going off. So anyway, he puts it in my hand, and he says, if you see or hear anything, just throw it out a grenade and run back. So he leaves, and I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden I realize I got this grenade in my hand. And I started to shake. I mean, really scared. 
and you're out there in pitch black. You can't see anything. You know what I mean? So I'm stunted, and I'm praying, God, please help me. <laughs> I mean, I'm, and, and you know, you sweat, and you just, I, I kept shaking. And I said, Lord, please, I can't stop shaking. I was so, my body was, everything hurt from vipers to chicken. So I don't know how all of a sudden, I mean, I just calmed, was able to steady. And the next thing I know, the sergeant is back. He says, come on, Boria, come in. So you just got the, you got the grenade, you know, because they knew I never threw the grenade. So he takes the grenade out of my hand, and he says, get down. And he throws the grenade. And I, I look at him, and I'm in shock. I said, I went through all this. I could He said, what did you? I said, I could You said if I saw jabs. I, I didn't hear nothing. I didn't see nothing. So I held the grenade. I got back to the guys and hit this sergeant telling everybody that I stood with the grenade all night like that. So they said, not me. He said, I would have thrown that grenade. Who the hell is going to know whether there were jabs or not? I didn't start running. I said, I don't know. I, I guess that's one of the things that I learned in the Marine Corps. And uh, to be that way, that, you know, you gave me an order and then I, I just followed it. And, and like I till today, I still think about it. And I say, well, you know. I guess you're just that that way. I mean, D- doing you, your, you doing talk your to duty. these guys, and they said, you know what? What the heck? I, you're a, a young guy. You're all by yourself. You're out in the boondocks. I mean, you know, a lot of they said, you think about yours. I, I said, I, I don't know why. I, I said, I'm telling you, I don't say I wasn't afraid. I mean, I was scared stiff. But the fact of the matter is, is that I held it. You know that old saying that they have is, "I was scared." Mm-hmm. It starts with an S, <laughs> and it says, "And that happens." I happens so a lot. I said, "Thanks God, it never happened to me." I came close, but I mean that, that was something. Always, everybody always thought, "Please, I hope I don't, have, I don't have a bowel movement." For, you know, but it really gets to you. Well, 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 that that was your duty that night, and, yeah. and you did it. And he prayed, and he got calm. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. It's been great to hear your wonderful stories, and, and we really appreciate you sharing them with us. We're glad you're joining us. Thank you. We'll be back in just a moment after these messages. Before we go to break, of course, I want to let you know that Fort Door Solutions salutes all who serve and all who gave their lives in service to our country. Also, I want to give a shout-out to our friends over at Sheeler Auto Repair and let you know that if you have any needs in terms of your any vehicle you might own, I encourage you to get over to see Demetrius and Odysseus at Sheeler Auto Repair. We'll be right back with Sergeant Lou Boria on the Roger Franklin Williams Show. Please stay with us. Welcome back to the Roger Franklin Williams Show, and welcome back to our special program today. It's an annual program where we pay tribute to those who died in service to our country, defending our freedom and security, wearing the uniform of the United States military. We have an outstanding guest. We're honored to have Sergeant Lou Boria, United States Marine Corps, decorated combat veteran of World War II and the Korean conflict, as you are hearing before we go back to Sergeant Lou Boria, I want to, of course, remind you about the sponsors who make our program possible and make this program possible. They, of course, are Apopka Mower, Dr. Patrick St. Germain and St. Germain Chiropractic, our friends at Thompson Jewelers, Fortador Solutions, Sheeler Auto Repair, and Wes Dumey, candidate for Apopka City Commission, and Russ McClatchy, attorney at law. Now, Back to Sergeant Lou Boria, decorated U.S. Marine Corps combat veteran of World War II and the Korean conflict. He was awarded two Purple Hearts for his service with the United States Marine Corps. He's a native of Brooklyn, joined the Marines at 16 years old. He was serving in combat at the age of 17. And now, Mr. Boria, I'd like to, you know, you've been sharing with us about your, you know, insightful, your hands-on 
experiences in combat, especially the, the Battle of AT Golf, about the injuries you suffered uh, that led to you know, being awarded a Purple Heart um, at that battle. Now I'd like to go back, because you've got some interesting stories and insights into the way that you even became a Marine. You were uh, living in Brooklyn as a, as a 16-year-old, uh, and you uh, came to want to join uh, the service. Can you just talk about that and, and how specifically you, you wound up in the Marines as opposed to another branch? You know, to top it off, I lived, I lived at, there was six blocks away from the Brooklyn Navy Yard so that all I saw day and night was sailors. You know, nice guys, bad guys, and then, you know, they would walk up Sand Street from the Navy Yard to get to the uh, train station to go to Manhattan. But anyway, they would go out and come back when they, they were drunk, and, you know, it was horrible. And, and uh, the only real uh, sight for me was I uh, see the Marines with the MPs, and they were real all sharp. And, you know, I was very impressed with the Marines. But anyway, the, the story is how did I get back? I get into the Marine Corps. Uh, my mom uh, uh, went with me to the you know recruiting station, and uh, during the interviews, and she told him I was only sixteen years old. So they said, "Oh, he can't. You can't. You know, so take him home and come back when he's seventeen. So anyway, I was talking to some of the friends in the neighborhood. They said, "Why don't you just go down to the draft board? Tell me you're eighteen. So I did that. Would you believe? I went in, they filled out the papers, and says, all right, you, you go home. About a couple of weeks later, I got a letter telling me to come down for, for the physical. So when I got down for the physical, there was a couple of guys from the neighborhood where we were all lined up and kidding with each other. The, one in front, the guy in front of me, they, they took his blood, and when they went to pull the blood, the guy fainted, he passed out. And then, so... We ran over, helped them pick him up and put him in cinemas. And the nurse came over. She said, if I know the guy, I said, yeah. She says, well, if, if you take him home, would you do that? I said, yeah, sure. So she says, when you come back, <coughs> don't stand on the line. You, you come right up front to see me. So I did that. And when I came back, they moved me up on the line, filled out all whatever papers and took blood tests and did everything. I says, okay, you go back home and uh, you wait for the... Uh, notice you receive. So then a couple of weeks went by and I got the, that I was a class A, you know, the, the, for, to be drafted. And uh, another week or so, they told me to report for induction. So, and in those days, you, you would line up and they would have all the services, you know, and uh, they would come and say they, how many they needed. So anyway, I'm sitting there and the guy comes out, he says, I need 10 this Navy guy. So they pointed at me and said, you're in the Navy. Get Follow that sailor up there, the chief, Navy chief. I said, no, I, ain't, I don't want to, I'm not going in the Navy. He said, you go where we tell you to go. Now get over there. I said, I'm not going to be in the Navy. So I, I sounded kind of loud. The next thing you know, they called the police. The police came down. I said, what the, he said, get, I said no, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go. I don't want to go into the Navy. I didn't say I wanted to go into service. I said, hey, I don't want to go in the Navy. So the, guy, the cop said, oh, what, what, what? I said, I want to go in the Marines. So this corporal had been walking by, getting all the excitement with, you know, being the police, being there. So he's listening all of a sudden. Hey, he's mine. He's mine, <laughs> he goes. So they took me, and uh, I wound up get all signed up into the Marines. Little did I know what it was going to be like at Paris Island. <laughs> I got to get off the bus at Paris Island, and they're reading, you know, calling off the roll call. So when they called off my name, and mind you, I'm, like I said, this is 1943, and anybody with a complexion in those days, you stood out. And I mean, I was the only, the darkest guy in that whole, they, they think there was 45 guys. So the, you could spot me. They didn't even have to call me my name. They knew when I was there at formation or I wasn't. But anyway, this sergeant comes over to me, and he's looking. And in those days, any draftee had a, a serial number started with a nun. With a nine, <coughs> so I had my serial number was nine zero two six eight three, and he comes over to me and he looks at me. He says, "Where are you from, boy?" I said, I said "From Brooklyn, New York." Oh, one of those wise asses from Brooklyn, huh? <laughs> so anyway, so I look at him and he's back at me and he goes, "He says you're a drafty." 
You couldn't volunteer? He says, you're going to my effing Marine Corps? Is it And you couldn't volunteer? And I mean, all the time he's poking me with his finger on the chest. And from that day, for 12 weeks, he never let up on me. He was constant, constantly pounding on me. But and, and, and you're just 16. And the irony of it is, technically, I mean, I guess technically you were a draftee because you had to enter through the draft board. But the reason you entered through the draft board was because you know they, they wouldn't, you, you couldn't take you at your age by, by yeah. going going the volunteer route. So that was that yeah. was what you that was yeah. your own initiative to to figure out a way to to get in. And then then you got well, labeled by this guy and and it was it was a target of abuse for your entire uh, yeah. boot camp. Well, like like I say, you know, I, I talk to people and you know say, well, Jesus, at sixteen you went into Marines and this, this and that. I, I tell her, you know that that was the biggest change in my life. I cause my I, my mom raised us by herself. We, our dad took off when we were kids, and I never had that male, you know, except for the the guys in the church and and they were like. A, very something that you could understand. The other day, it was all spoke Spanish, and they, they, like I was in a, a Spanish Baptist church, and you know the neighborhoods were all segregated. So anyway, getting get to Paris Island and see all these white guys, and you know, they're all friends. I mean, they didn't even know what the hell of, uh, the word Puerto Rican meant, you know. And it, 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 what a camaraderie! I mean, it was I never ever in my life experienced anything like that, and has stays with me throughout. That that's what excels in the Marines is the camaraderie that you build up between each other, and it's 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 been my the greatest thing that ever happened to me. I I, I never would have got to where I'm at today in my life if it hadn't been for the Marine Corps. Talk about graduation. One shook your hand. Oh yeah. Well, you know, <clears throat> you, we have a, a boot camp is twelve weeks long, and on the day before the graduation. They issue you the uniforms, and, and you know, during the time you're go, going through boot camp, they take you and they measure you and everything. But you don't get no no uniform until the, the day before graduation. Then you get the uniforms put on, and we're all in the barracks admiring each other, how we all look, you know, <coughs> in the uh, marine green. And uh, then you have this parade, and right after the parade, you get back to the barracks, and your bags are packed. And you get ten day leave, so we get back from the parade. You know, we're congratulating each other and hugging and giving each other's addresses and things like that. All of a sudden, the drill instructor comes up, "Warrior, get your buns outside!" I go, "Oh!" So everybody froze, and they're all looking at me. So I go running out. I get outside. So I'm standing at attention. He's standing there. He says, "Stand at ease." I slept. So he sticks out his hand. He shook my hand. He says, you're going to be a good Marine. He said, but you better learn how to control your temper. Now get the F out of here. So I run back into the barracks, and the tears running down my face. I was so excited that he had told me about being a good Marine and everything else like that. So all these guys were staring. They were frozen. When they see me walk in and see tears running, they thought that this guy had kick me back, you know, not letting me graduate. So when I told him, he, he shook my hand. The guy goes, what? I says, he shook my hand. And I, I couldn't believe it. I was so excited. All the guys are pounding on my back. And what a feeling that was. That, that was great, great feeling. I said that he just, you know, he was rough on me all through. The, so I, I guess he, he must have felt that, you know, I needed something, whatever. But believe me, that was the greatest thing that man could ever have done for me. And that's the guy been riding you from, from day one. Oh, it's just a great feeling that he told me, you're going to be a good Marine. I said, wow. I mean, what a feeling. Well, I really appreciate you being here to join us and it's share these wonderful experiences with us. Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At Paris Island. And one last question is... You know, your commitment is obvious you know, to the country and, and to the Marine Corps, the United States of America, you know, the service that you served in combat in two different wars. Yeah, World I'm War gonna, II I'm going to tell you something. My mom, like I said, she was very limited in her English. And we were brought up by welfare. You know, they paid the food, the clothes. There was, you know, at the time I didn't know 
what it was like until you know as you, as you start growing up and get older. All of a sudden, you know, my mom is just whatever she could with, with the little money that she would get from the welfare. But one thing about my mom, she was, I mean, a patriot. My mom, if she saw their flag, she it was. She used to tell us in Spanish, "Ese cuerpo que tú tienes," she says, "That body that you have belongs to the government. You owe that to the government." And we always felt that. I always felt that this was my country. They raised me. I didn't have a father. They raised me. You know, they paid for the, the food and the whatever clothes we wore, and uh, so that uh, it, to me, the, my country is my country. Yeah. And like I said, and the good part about it is being Puerto Rican, we're American citizens anyway, you know, so that uh, it was it was a great feeling. Well, thank you, sir, for your service. You know, it's, uh, we're all indebted to you, uh, to your family, and thank you for being here to share about it on, on our show. Thank you for joining us on today's special Roger Franklin Williams Show Memorial Day program. I especially want to thank Sergeant Lou Boria for joining us and for his service to our country as we recognize all who died defending our freedom and security, and as we recognize all members of the United States military, those who have served and are currently serving. Thank you for joining us. Have a great day. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.